Hello and welcome to Crosstalk 2024 Blizzard Edition. I'm your host, Dave Sherrill, and my guest host is here, Pastor Kevin. I'm here. You know, Dave, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, this is not a normal crosstalk. This is the, we both um, made our way up to church today. It's, it's Saturday in January, and uh, by God's grace, we both made our way home. And it was unpleasant outside, wasn't it? To say the least. We're at that point of, uh, that's a lot of snow. Yeah. Like things got real. And very bitter cold. And you can't see. So in in lieu of all of that, since we won't uh, have the blessing of gathering in person tomorrow, we thought we would take um, just a few minutes and do something a little bit different, um, at least to give you some edification, some encouragement, some challenge. Um, yeah, and I think this will be kind of fun. We're doing a little bit of a, we're going to call this kind of ask me anything, though I suppose it's really just Dave and I asking each other. So uh, the, the rest of you get to just listen in on what we find interesting. Um, all In all seriousness, though, we have chosen each uh, a few topics that are near and dear to each of us, the sorts of things that We want to communicate to you, the congregation, and yet this is more short form. Um, This isn't the sort of thing necessarily that would fill out a sermon or a Sunday school lesson, or but nevertheless still connected to the scriptures and important. So uh, we're going to have some questions and answers for each other. Uh, We'll have a devotional. Uh, We'll have some fun together, and uh, by God's grace, we will all be together next week. I'm looking forward to it, seeing everybody. Uh, It's always a huge encouragement to my heart when we get together to worship. But on today's edition, let's let's kick off our Ask Me Anything segment with uh, a question for you, Pastor. Uh, Can you give us an update on the doctoral program that you're going through, please? Yeah. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know, I'm pursuing a doctor of ministry, which is a doctoral degree. That's coming from um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. That's the seminary that is associated with our denomination. Um, What that's consisted of is, uh, to this point, uh, I've been taking between two and three classes a year. And by God's grace, I am right now, as we record this, in my final class Um, so that's, that's exciting. Uh, that means that the end is in sight. Um, what remains then is after this class, uh, starting late this spring through, um, well, I'm hoping through May of 2025 is when I will, uh, work on, um, research and teaching and then reading and writing of a thesis, that uh, if all goes well, if, if it's what the Lord wants, I'll graduate then May of 25. And, uh, you know, if not, if he's got something else in mind, then it'll be bumped back a little bit. But, yeah, that's kind of where we're at is we're ending the classroom phase and we're entering into the really what the program's all about, which is the, the, the research and writing and the helpful to the church phase. And this, uh, the this doctoral program you're going through is a little bit out of the ordinary from what would typically be offered through the seminary. They're, they're developing a new 
format of degree and study. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about that so we could understand why it's beneficial? Yeah. Uh, traditionally, um, even as, as little as maybe four or five years ago, uh, I would have been doing, you know, reading and writing of papers here at home in Sioux City. And then uh, each semester, so spring, fall, sometimes summer, uh, for a week or two, I would be traveling to the school, to Chicago, for having just an intensive, um, usually either five or 10 day class where I'm sitting in a classroom just like anyone else, collaborating with all of my fellow classmates, that sort of thing. Um, a big change is that now there's an option, uh, which I have taken, uh, to do that online. Um, so same amount of work, same rigorous standards, all that sort of stuff. And yet, uh, rather than traveling to Chicago and taking you know, time completely off from the church, I'm able to, to still be here, uh, usually locked away in my office in front of a camera and a microphone, um, and do it through video conferencing. But that's a little bit easier on the church schedule, a little bit easier on the family schedule, because then I'm not having to have all that travel time, hotel expenses, that sort of thing. So same program, just different format. And there is an aspect to the way they're approaching this to make it more applicable to your immediate ministry uh, opportunities that you have in exactly. the church. Yeah, exactly. That's what really drew me to this is um, ever since the beginning, uh, those of you who were there at that, that congregational meeting, I said, you know, I want this to be not only something for me, I mean, obviously I need to want to do it myself, but I want it to be a blessing to our congregation. Um, and, and some of you, I think, know exactly how that's looked because you've asked me about certain classes or, or you've seen how I'm either teaching or leading differently as a result. Uh, others of you might just Maybe you're aware of a change, but you don't know why. And a lot of the why is the work that the Lord has done um, through these classes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's already blessing and benefiting the church. And then as I come to the completion of that, I'm really, uh, really excited to see what the Lord will do. Do you have your thesis formed where you can share or at least a direction of what you're going to be? Yeah, writing that's a on? good question. I have a a preliminary proposal, and if that sounds a little up in the air, it's because it is. Um, so I've written a proposal, about 50-some pages, uh, that's been turned in to uh, the head of my department, and I've gotten it back with some feedback on it. Um, it's not approved yet. That's why it's preliminary. But if approved, um, assuming either I don't change anything or, or nothing shifts here in the next couple months, uh, what it will look like is um, something around the idea of how have God's people in the past um, taught folks to pray? What does it look like to teach someone how to pray according to the scriptures? And my particular wrinkle in that is to say, are there things from the past that if we knew about, if we saw, if we could study them— can we bring that into today? Are there, uh, is there wisdom from the past that we're missing out on um, that we would really benefit from by applying it today? 
So there's kind of a historical wrinkle to it. And then a very practical one, which will come uh, more this summer and fall, where uh, we'll have a sermon series um, uh, um, focusing in on prayer, uh, a small group, that sort of thing, to really put some some feet to this. Because I don't want it to just be, well, here's what some folks from way back when said, and it's really good stuff, and we should all do it. I mean, that may be true, um, but that's very different than saying, here's some wisdom from the past that's rooted in God's word, and we want to put it into practice. We want to try it. We want to see if this is part and parcel of how the Lord would grow us in our own praying as individuals and as a congregation together. Um, you know, what would that look like? And the nice part about this doctoral program is it's not just the, the theory. It's not just theoretical, but it's that last part. It's that what would it look like? And so that's what I'll be inviting, um, you know, any of you from the congregation uh, into. If you're interested, like I said, we'll have a small group um, to see what that would look like together. And uh, you can be a part of all this. Um, but all that's a little bit preliminary. Uh, obviously, I'll give many more details once we're closer, but that's what we're after. I would venture that this will end up being a uh, an underlying theme that will carry through uh, the rest of the decades of your, your pastoral ministry. I don't necessarily think it will be like the one-trick pony that you ride all the time because we don't we don't need that. We don't want that. Uh, the Christian life is is broad and varied, and people's situations uh, are met by God in a variety of ways. But prayer is critical, and I think this will uh, become deeply rooted in your your thought and your approach to the faith in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, the really quick version of how I came on to this was— uh, really in two aspects. Uh, one was personally, just as I was reading the Word, I became more and more convicted of how often you see either an, an individual or God's people together, you know, thinking like the book of Acts, um, how often you see them pray and, and spend significant time in prayer and significant effort. I mean, they make prayer a priority. And, and I was really convicted to think, well, yeah, I do pray, but is it that kind of prayer? And if not, why not? You know, not just, oh, you know, I feel guilty, it should be different, but why? And then the second part is really what I've heard from from others, some in our congregation, some, um, you know, other pastors I know of, or just Christians throughout life, where I've found that that kind of praying seems extremely difficult. Um, I, yeah, I could theorize on all sorts of reasons. We'll save that for the, the paper itself. But I want to see us, including, so that's me and us as a congregation, I want to see us make progress in faithful, God-glorifying, his people encouraging, that sort of um, taking a step out in faith, prayer. Thanks, Pastor. That really does help. It, it gives us a good view of this this extra work 
uh, that, that we as a church are committed to helping you through this process, uh, both in giving you the time to do the work and also in participating when you draw us in uh, so that we can provide our uh, impact through your studies and through your your thesis that you put together. But this is an ask me anything, not just an ask me one thing episode. So let's let's keep it moving. Move on to to Bible study. Uh, kind of just a general guideline. If you encounter a passage that you want to dig into, how do you approach that, Pastor? Yeah, Dave. I think that's um, the question of how to study. The word is a good one because it seems like there's, you know, 8,000 different methods and how do you do this? And, and one of the problems I think that comes up with that is it, we can overcomplicate it. So I've got my Bible open. Um, I just flipped through right before we got on onto this podcast to the book of James. Um, I want us to just see what it might look like to sit down for five minutes um, in a morning devotion, maybe yours are much longer than that. I don't know. Uh, but for our sake here, what could it look like to study James chapter one, verses one through eight, and come away with something, um, something faithful and true and applicable? And I'm going to do it with no new method whatsoever. Uh, this is actually something I was taught back in seminary. Then the principles are reinforced through uh, if you're familiar with that Simeon Trust method we've taught a few times, uh, words are a little different, but three simple things. I'm going to observe, so I'm going to look and see what is the text saying. Not what does everyone else say or what do I think it should say. Or, no, what does God's Word actually say? Second, I'm going to interpret, and that's the question saying, you know, what does this mean? Not what does it mean to me or what does it mean to you know, this group of people in this area of the world. And no, there might be a time for that, but that's not what I'm asking here. I'm saying what, in this case, is James wanting me to understand? And then thirdly, uh, application. Okay, what difference does this make? What difference should it make? So let me start. Very first thing, whenever I'm studying the scripture, I know this sounds obvious, but I've noticed um, sadly, how often it's forgotten is to read the text. Always, 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 always. Um, if I only have five minutes, and I'm not trying to communicate this through a podcast, uh, fine, I'll just read the text for five minutes. I won't worry about researching anything else um, because God's word is so good, it's better than anything else I could do. So never skip this. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. All right, so this is our passage. You can pretend this is your, your, your 
devotion for the day, maybe, um, you know, you've come to James 1, you've read this, what do you do with it? First thing we're going to do is just observe. Who's writing? James. What do we know about James? Well, he tells us here, he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. What's James doing then? Who's he writing to? Well, again, in this case, because it's a letter, he tells us to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, right? And um, if you've got any Bible background, that 12 probably sticks out to you, and, and you're right. So God's people, perhaps even those of a Jewish background who've come to Christ, maybe, maybe not, but certainly God's people scattered around the world. So we could very much say, uh, dear brothers and sisters, this is for us, it's not just for Jewish people and we've got to figure out what to do with it. No, this is for us. Okay, now what's he writing about? Well, just skimming down there, I see a number of things about um, needing to grow in maturity. And the shocking way that we get that is through trials because they produce perseverance, right? They give us, um, I, I know in education circles a few years ago, there was this thing called grit that was making its way around. Okay, how do you have grit in the Christian life? Well, ironically, it's just like building muscle. You've got to break it down, which is not pleasant, but in the process of breaking it down, that's how you build it up, right? And that's what trials do. Um, there's a second half of this, which seems to be something about faith, right? We, we need wisdom to navigate these trials, to keep our, our, our eyes fixed on the Lord, and the way we get that wisdom is not by conjuring it up in ourselves, that's not what it says, but rather by asking God and asking with the confidence that he will give it. And so that's what we see in the text here, okay? That's the interpretation part, um, or excuse me, the application part. Interpretation then is what does this mean? I think we need to see, um, for my own purposes here, I'm just going to I'm going to camp out on that last part um, of, of asking in faith, uh, not because you couldn't make all sorts of observations on every one of these verses. Easily you could, right? And this is perhaps one of the good lessons I should give you right now is um, you don't always have to say something about everything. Um, it's okay to open the Word and have, you know, five or ten minute devotional time and, um, when we were preparing sermons in seminary, we always said, it's okay to leave some things on the table for the next time you preach. Um, that's just fine. You don't have to comprehensively cover every random possible thing. Um, actually, I think it's probably more helpful to just focus on one thing. So, um, because, hey, I'm giving this example and I'm the one reading, here's where I'm gonna focus. Um, we need to ask the Lord out of trust. Um, what we see in verses 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, so 5 through 8, is that God gives generously, and if we ask, we have every reason to expect, not, not demand, I don't mean expect in that sense, but to expect because our God is good, that he will give us what we need to be faithful in trial and temptation. Notice that there's a warning here. 
if we don't believe that, and I've noticed I'm kind of reading in reverse, if we don't believe that, it likely means that we don't believe God gives generously. Do you see how those are connected? Right? It probably means if I don't really think that God's going to answer my prayer, it means I don't really trust him like I ought to. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian. By the way, I just heard like a, a gasp through the, the internet here or something. No, that's, um, that's not quite what I'm saying. I mean, it could mean that, hey, if you don't trust God at all, then maybe this is the wake-up call right here in James uh, to, to turn to Jesus and say, you know, build my faith, help me to believe. Okay, great. But it also could be that you just need to grow, right? And that's true of every Christian. So one of the, you know, so I've just made some interpretive decisions. I've decided, all right, not only where I'm going to camp in this passage, but then um, here's some things at the end that are really important about, about faith and belief and my view of God and is he really good. All right, and out of all of those now, notice, I'm going to, funnel it down even a little more, and I'm going to just make one or two applications. Because again, I could do the same thing. We could have 30 different applications coming just out of these verses. That's one of the amazing things about God's Word, is it's always applicable to everyone, young, old, um, doesn't matter, race, background, country of origin, language. uh, God's Word always applies. Right? So you don't have to get everything just here on the first swipe, but you do want to come away with something. So we move to that third part, which is application. Uh, you'll notice just from the comments I've made that I, I'm focusing on God's character here of, do I believe that he'll give generously or, or, or not? Because I don't want to be that unstable man. Um, I don't want to be that unstable woman. There's a translation thing there between Greek and English, by the way. Ladies, you're not excluded. Don't worry. Um, And because I don't want that, I need to see God as generous. Great. Application and prayer. What is my application? I need to learn to see God as wanting to give me wisdom. I don't have to conjure it out of him. I don't have to trick it out of him. That would be sin, wouldn't it? Um, He's not stingy about it. He's not trying to figure out, well, I've only got this certain stockpile of wisdom, and I don't know if I want to give it to Kevin right now. No. God wants to give this. Do I trust him? Will I trust him? Application. Um, The one I'm going to come away with, if I'm doing this in my own personal devotions, is probably something like a prayer Lord, help me to trust that you are this good, that you love me, that you love your people enough, that you want us to see how we can trust you, how we can grow in maturity, how everything that comes from your hand, even trials and temptations, is good for us because you are in charge. Um, right? That's a great prayer right there. And then if you wanted to take it one step further, maybe you, uh, maybe you later in the day come and either reread the passage or, you know, if you're married or you've got a, a friend or a Christian coworker, why don't you tell them, hey, you know, I'm learning about, um, you know, how I can trust God and I want to grow in wisdom. And it's hard, though. Can you pray for me? Or maybe you turn into a question. 
how have you learned to trust God, right? Great. Now you can have this wonderful spiritual conversation. It's all flowing out of your five-minute Devo. So Dave, that would be just a very simple observe, interpret, apply. Um, in my case, I think by writing. So I'm doing this, you know, obviously for a podcast, it's audio, but um, if I was doing this at home, I literally, I've, you know, I've opened up my, my notebook and I'm writing these things down. Uh, just one page. Again, we're not going crazy here. Um, and anyone who's seen me, I write in huge font, right? So literally, this is not a super long process. Um, it is a very intentional one, though. And I think that's what matters. But Dave, I've been talking too long, so I want to actually pitch a question toward you. All right. So you are known as a, as a man who has a number of uh, things that you're really excited about in the faith. Um, we are recording this in the second floor of your home, which is a, a, a library, quite literally. Um, I am sitting in a chair, and there are books all around me. And I notice a number of those books are on what's called apologetics. So a couple questions here, Dave, because I know this has been a big theme in how you serve the Lord. So number one, can you give us the 30-second definition? What's apologetics? 30-second definition, apologetics would be uh, to provide an answer when people ask you why you have hope. To give a reason, uh, apolog uh, apologia, the, the word itself is, is rarely used in normal, everyday conversation. It's simply, why do you believe? Or why do you believe what you believe? Um, in a nutshell. So we're not talking about apologizing for our faith. No, we don't, we don't walk around saying, I'm sorry I'm a Christian. That's not what apologetics is. Or I'm sorry about who Jesus was or anything like that far different. Uh, it is a, a, a pursuit to understand uh, more thoroughly who Jesus is, who the Lord is, how the Christian faith fits together. Um, so I'll take that 30-second answer and turn it into just a little bit longer. <laughs> Go okay. for it. I have, I have an extended I have an extended definition of apologetics that I work with. And that is, it is not s simply to provide a, an answer to someone who asks. It is being able to speak to people who have questions, but also being able to strengthen Christians who are also confronted by a variety of questions or situations in their life. So I don't see apologetics as purely a pre-evangelism or an evangelistic effort. Uh, I see it as being a, a strengthening of Christian faith, and perhaps even that may be the bigger impact in the long run because it multiplies the maturity of Christians to be able to respond to the variety of situations in all the audiences that God blesses them with. I like that, Dave. Um, that's really helpful, I think. How about then, all right, if that's what apologetics is, you know, if that's how we would explain it or, or, or define it, go a little further, and you were starting to even get there. Why? Why should 
the average Christian care about this? I mean, you know, I've got other stuff to worry about. I'm trying to, you know, raise kids and 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 blow the snow off my driveway. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've got 10,000 other things, Dave. Why should this be um, something of importance to me? I'll approach it with, from two angles. One is it's commended to us in Scripture. It's out of First Peter. There's a there's a foundational passage that people who are interested in apologetics always lean on. It's in First Peter chapter three. It's uh, verses fourteen and fifteen. I'll read them for you briefly. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I'll continue on in verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay, there are two pieces to this. Providing an answer, which many apologetic-oriented ministries are wonderful at emphasizing. A part where they struggle is the second part of that instruction. Do it with gentleness and respect. So why should we care? Because we want to be able to talk to our neighbor, our friend, our cousin, our dad, our mom, our daughter, our son. Why does Jesus matter? And it does not always have to be an immediate dismissal and a devaluing of the person that you're talking to. There is a certain Christian attitude of gentleness and respect that we are to provide to those to whom we talk. And that, the apologetics endeavor many times is presented as Here's, here's the four steps you go through, and you go through those, and people will see the bankruptcy of their position, and they'll come to Christ. Okay, there is no one, two, three, four, and you're going to get somebody through the door. It's the Lord who works in them. But a huge component of that conversation, I believe, is our attitude of gentleness and respect for them. It doesn't mean we're soft or walk away from the truth that God has. But we, we've thought through how to say it, and in the moment, you can't prepare for every angle that a conversation will take, and it's okay. If you can show gentleness and respect and give the best answer that you can at the time, the Lord can use that. Uh, so why, why care about apologetics? Because we care about the people around us. And we want them to meet Jesus. We want them to see their need for Christ. They all need him. It doesn't matter. Whoever you meet, whoever you know, every person you've ever heard of, seen in a picture, met on the street, they all need Jesus. You individually are not equipped to reach everyone in the whole world, but the Lord can place you in a person's path to provide that reason with gentleness and respect. Dave, that's huge. Um, 
especially I think, and you even underlined this, you know, in, in your speaking, that second part of, you know, it's sort of like we, we've got the first part of, okay, uh, to, to, to do apologetics well, we need to know what we believe and we need to be able to communicate that, that, that truth, that content from God. But the second part, and I think you're 100% right, is almost overlooked or forgotten oftentimes, this gentleness and respect. Um, I would even note, look at our society right now. Gentleness and respect is not highly valued in any of our public conversations and any debates. This is one way, and obviously it's from God. I mean, this is correct and true and good. This is one way Christians could stand out rather than kind of using the same tools as the rest of the world. So what would be then, if you would take those two halves, the, the truth half and the gentleness and respect half, and I, I, even saying that, I realize it sounds like I mean two different things. I don't, but turn, turn the diamond two different ways here. What's a quick way, what's a, a quick piece of advice or suggestion um, that, that the average person listening to grow in each one of those ways? What's, what's one thing you'd say for each of those halves that would help us take just even a little step of faithfulness? I would encourage you, I, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give the answer all in one Ooh, impressive. Example. Look at how Jesus talks to people. Go back to Christ. He is the truth embodied. He's not weak. He doesn't deny himself, and yet he interacts with people who were on the fringe, on the edge, who were not believers or who thought they were believers but were deceived, and he never comes up to them to simply bludgeon them with the truth. It's very eye-opening. And, and a lot of my early exposure to apologetics really was the, the pugilist, the I'm going to get into theological fisticuffs and we're just going to beat the truth into you one way or another. There can be a time for that, but so many other opportunities are lost if we don't consider the real value of the person standing in front of us. There are God's image bearers. And just as we were lost before Christ, they're lost before Christ, and they need to hear about him. And very few times do we ever see uh, anger or uh, some kind of a, a violent compelling of someone that results in their conversion. It is nearly always a personal relationship, even seated with sacrificial giving, uh, friendship. Uh, all those kind of things. So uh, my advice would be look to Jesus and how he interacts with people and, and simply just use that as a, uh, use the question of apologetics as a backdrop, uh, a background noise that you can kind of resurface and say, okay, how is he interacting with them? How would I interact with somebody? What can I learn? How can I grow? And then, dare I say, ask him for opportunity. Ask him for opportunity to do that. And you might not 
get it right, you might completely blow it. Even if you do, he can still use those attempts that you see as failed, may not be a failure. Mm. He can use a lot of different things to bring people to Christ. But I would, I would venture to say people are brought to faith more often with a friendly hand rather than the end of a barrel of a gun. Yeah, definitely. And your advice to look to Jesus, it's not just a Sunday school answer. It's you know, one of the things that I think we miss too often is um, we, we have this concept of, okay, what has Jesus said? I need to know that. And, and yes, amen. Don't hear me take anything from that. I want to add to that, though, of saying you can also learn from how, and this is what you're after, Dave, how Jesus is saying that or communicating that. So it's the, the content, yes, but it's also the delivery means. It's the way that he's getting it across, the attitude, the setting, the words that he's offering. Uh, that's a great lesson for us. But Dave, if I could turn this around now, I mean, you've asked me about studying the word. One of the, the emphases that I've noticed from you over the years is a real passion uh, for Bible study, whether that's Bible study like a, like a one-on-one sort of thing where I've seen you take some young guys under, under your wing or, or some of our groups. Um, I remember we've had everything from a Disciple You classes where we're, we're even studying the original languages uh, to um, classes on you know, certain books of the Bible and certain topics in the Bible. And I know that's even been one of your calls for the people here at First E Free is to get involved in a Bible study of some, some form or format. Um, why? You know, and of all the things that we could be doing, why do you see getting involved in Bible study together as so, um, so important, so crucial to our faith? Thanks for the question, Pastor. The Bible stands alone as God's revelation to us. And learning in community together helps us avoid idiosyncrasies and oddities that we might pursue otherwise. And you will find, as you join in with other people in a Bible study and you share together, um, the the colors of their life histories and all those things are factors which God has used to form them, and we can all learn better together. It is no replacement for the teaching of the Holy Spirit to study the Bible in community, but it is a way that the Spirit teaches using the Word so that we might be formed together. A big emphasis you see in Scripture is how the early believers, the early believers were united uh, in heart and mind. And one of the ways that happens is because they are looking at God's Word together. We are looking at God's Word together, and it helps to form that, that unity of the fabric of the faith together. And it can be very challenging. People can come with 
different perspectives and they bring crayons you don't have in your crayon box. And your initial reaction might be, hey, wait a minute. But reflect on what you're hearing. Mm. I'm not saying they're inspired. I'm not saying they're infallible. We learn from each other as fallible teachers of an infallible text and an infallible Lord. And he uses those fallibilities in our learning process. He is sovereign even over that and can shape that so that we might be shaped to follow him. So Dave, if I'm hearing you uh, clearly, you would say that one of the one of the reasons that we should prioritize this kind of study so highly is because when we are together, we're sharpening one another. We're um, having some other questions asked that maybe we wouldn't ask or other observations made that maybe we have overlooked and that it's that kind of growing together, uh, which I noticed by the way, is very not individualistic. Um, nice call out there to the, the community of the first century church, but it's because of this growing together that, that we can grow into maturity and, and trust with one another and uh, obviously go deeper in the word as well. Yeah, I would, I would echo uh, each of those comments because I would say that you know, part of studying the word is not just you and your Bible. Um, it's not less than that, obviously, given my devotional example earlier. But it is more than that. There is point and purpose to not just, oh, I'm going to read it and whatever I come up with must be the most important thoughts. But instead, um, and I know you would attest to this as well, Dave, but it's when we read in community together with other believers that it's like that sharpening starts happening exponentially. Um, and that's saved me from many, many, uh, you know, rabbit trails and even outright misapplications of just where sometimes I just read something and I, I come away thinking I know exactly what it means. And later I realize, you know, maybe from sometimes it's been you, Dave, but a comment and I just think, whoa, wait a second, where's that coming from? And then I've got to go look again and it's, oh, wow, I completely missed that or I, I didn't even consider how this would apply or that would affect things or right, those are the benefits of community. Um, and, and that's been a very consistent call that you've given to us, a very faithful one. Let me ask about one other faithful call that you've brought up many times throughout the years, and it's the value of church membership. Uh, we live in a low commitment era. Um, I, I've been noticing this, you know, it's, it's the new year, it's January. So pretty much every gym on the planet is, Hey, come work off all your Thanksgiving and Christmas goodies and whatever. But one of the things I've noticed is it's always, Oh, no commitment. You know, you, you pay for this month and then you don't ever have to do it. So even, you know, even our advertising these days acts as if commitment is a, is a bad thing, but you, I suspect, actually, I know, cause I know you are going to tell me that when it comes to church, 
Commitment's a wonderful thing, and membership is how we express it. So let's say you are on the elevator uh, with somebody, and uh, you know maybe they know you from church, or, or maybe it's just someone you've run across, they've figured out you're a Christian, and hey, you know, I, I know you're an overseer there at that first evangelical free church, and you know, I've heard you guys have this membership thing, and I, I don't know about that. How would you answer them? What, what would be the positive case for saying that church membership really does matter in a low-commitment culture? Ah, great question, which is what we always say when someone asks a question. I mean, do you see something in the Word? Where would you take us? Surprisingly enough, I would say church membership is rooted in the Great Commission. All right, you're going to have to unpack that, Dave, because I yes. don't think most people would see that. There. But I'm going to do it fairly rapidly, so this will be an opportunity for those of you who are perseverant, persevere long enough to listen to this whole thing. You can ask me about it at another time to flesh it out. The Great Commission is Christ's instruction for us to make disciples. And that's our purpose statement as a church, is to do that. But there are entailments that come out of that structure of the Great Commission, which indicate that you as an individual are accountable to God, but also you as an individual are accountable to a congregation. And that other people also have oversight responsibilities towards you. And it doesn't say that exactly in the Great Commission, but when you think about go make disciples, teaching them to do this and obey, there's instruction, there's authority and submission. Uh, structures, there's accountability structures, all of those things point towards a much richer expression of your faith that happens in the context of the church community. Hmm. That's a really short answer. But that's a helpful one. Um, yeah, incredibly helpful, actually, because I think I, I think that gets after something that is unique to the Christian call, um, where we are to have a certain level of accountability before our Lord. And I'm going to change the word now. It's still accountability, but a certain amount of care for one another. And it's not just a, well, do I feel like it today? It's optional. No, this is a calling, really, which is what the Great Commission is. You know, that's one of the things that I just find so fascinating. Yeah, that, um, Dave, that's a, a very helpful answer. Yeah, there's accountability uh, between these aspects of the individual and the congregation. There's also love and encouragement, which the scriptures themselves point us towards, hmm. which cannot be expressed simply as an individual. The love and encouragement and care that the Scripture 
commands us towards is in many respects played out in community. It's very interesting. It's very mm. uh, countercultural in a sense to the popular level uh, general evangelical mindset about where does the church fit in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's key. So it you would key. you would argue it's it's a priority then? Yes. Uh, well, and that's probably not even strong enough, not just a priority, um, but an important one, one that bubbles up to the top. I would even say crucial. Yeah. Yeah, the, the fact is that um, the Christian who is connected to a faithful community is typically— I mean, I, I understand there's always exceptions to every rule, but just pastorally, when I look around, those are the folks that are usually growing. They're usually not getting carried off by some sort of weird, strange doctrine that's only found by three people on Facebook around the world. Um, but they're instead the ones that are also typically engaged in each other's lives. They read the word. They care about the word, not just quotes from the word, but actually reading God's word. Um, I understand that individuals can do each of those things, but I will say typically when I've heard from a Christian uh, something along the lines of, well, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, but not the church, or, or I'm not going to be part of a church, or um, it's for some, and again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because I know at times there's reasons, maybe the membership process itself, or you know, that there are some reasons there that that, that might be a, a little harder of a road to, to go down. But um, anyone who is intentionally rejecting the accountability of membership, um, that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. Agreed. Dave, I appreciate that. That's a good call in a culture that uh, takes commitment very lightly. I'll offer one qualifying statement. Our church is not perfect. Mm. There is no perfect church. There are real issues that arise in the inner relationships of people within a church. I would just remind us of the devotional that pastor took us through in James 1, count it all joy, brethren. Hmm. When things get a little hard, uh, don't walk away. Try to see it through. Try to learn what the Lord is teaching you, even in those challenging times. doesn't mean it's easy, but it does mean he has a good purpose in it. Amen. Amen. Well, Dave, we are drawing close to the end of our time. Uh, let me leave us just with a uh, kind of a devotional observation that sums up a lot of what we've been saying. Because um, one interesting thing that I've noticed is as we've been going through this Q&A and talking about different things, we've either been talking about the Scriptures or, or even directly quoting from the Scriptures. Uh, there's a certain authority, by which I mean God's authority, all authority, um, that is coming out of, it's, it's flowing out of God's Word here. And I was struck by that as I was studying for a, for a sermon here this past week. Um, I came across this. This is out of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, if you don't know the context, this is 
Uh, things have not been going very well with King Saul. Uh, Saul seems to, he just keeps wanting to, to do this whole king and kingdom thing his own way. Uh, wants to take things into his own hands, wants to play fast and loose with what God has said. You know, Saul acts as if half obedience is the same as actual obedience. And isn't that a challenge to our world right now? Uh, As if you can be obedient in one way and somehow that buys you credit to not be obedient in others. And you get to 1 Samuel 15, and, and Saul's still doing this. And Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, comes to him, calls him out on this. Saul immediately goes to, you know, defensive mode of, well, no, I've, I've obeyed God and I've done all this. And Samuel just cuts him off. And then he says something in verse 22 and 23 that is shocking. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Right, And so Samuel delivers this devastating rebuke, and frankly, it's a rebuke that, that Saul deserved. But for our purposes... I just want to point out one really fascinating thing. Um, As I was studying this, I actually came here uh, by way of the Psalms. That's the sermon I was producing. And uh, one of the things that I read and I went and checked for myself is how the Bible, especially the Old Testament, speaks of obedience. So you see that verse 22 Um, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Um, I know there's a few of you out there that use Bible software. You like to look stuff up on your Bible app. Look up that word obey. And what you will find is that it is the exact same very common Hebrew word for hear. It's the word for hearing and for listening. And here's what I want to leave us with, especially as we've been talking about the word this whole time. Hearing God's word implies it is necessarily linked to obeying it. Uh, Notice the Bible is not separating those out. There's not just a, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just listen when you know God says something in the Bible, but I may or may not do it. Um, that's a very modern idea we seem to have. That idea is not found in the scriptures. Uh, what's more, I want you to see it from the other direction. Obedience to the Lord means listening to what he has said. There is no choose-your-own-adventure in the Christian faith of just, well, what do I feel like doing, and as long as my heart is, is happy toward God, it's good enough. No, God has told us how to worship him. He has taught us what matters most. He has called us to love one another in community, for example, or to have a reason for why we trust him, or, or to understand his goodness and graciousness toward us, right? You see how all of this comes together if we will hear God's word and respond to it. And it's only when those two are married together 
that we have faithfulness as the result. Dave, it has been a pleasure uh, chatting with you, being encouraged and challenged by you. And uh, dear listeners, it is our prayer um, that out of uh, these short little segments, uh, out of our time in the Word together, um, that, that you too would be sharpened and would grow and would be encouraged to follow after Christ. We look forward to gathering together again, Lord willing, uh, hopefully next week. See you all soon. That's what we hope. Amen. Thanks for listening to Crosstalk 2024 Blizzard Edition.